If you have a copy of the Bible, I want to read this morning some verses from the Old Testament that we will use as the basis for our study today. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I will read the whole chapter. It's 25 verses. Not long. It will take maybe five minutes. But it will give the foundation for our study today. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'll start reading with verse number 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to you, son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. In these verses, Moses recalled for the children of Israel that time when God performed great deeds in their experience and in their lives. As the verses described, they had served under a wicked, evil Pharaoh in Egypt. Hundreds of years they served. And one day God brought them out with a mighty hand, it says. God had told Moses, he said, now go and tell the people that I will redeem them, I will bring them out. And I will bring them out in such a way that the Egyptians will actually drive them out. And that surely seemed like a wild story. But it came true. On the time of the Passover, which we've examined a few weeks ago, on that night as they celebrated that sacrifice, And the death angel went over all of Egypt and destroyed the firstborn in every household, including the firstborn of their animals and their beasts. They came to the children of Israel and they said, Get out! We don't want you here any longer. And they gave them of their jewels and of their resources and of their valuables to urge them to leave. And all that God said came true. He redeemed them with a mighty hand and he brought them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai he gave them the law. And now as they stand on the edge of the promised land, Moses takes some time to remind them. To recall to their mind what had transpired over the previous 40 years. For they had wandered in the wilderness 40 years from the time that they left Egypt until this time was 40 years. Oh, much happened there. We won't take the time, of course, today to go through all of the things that transpired during that 40 years. But the signal event that occurred during those 40 years occurred at Mount Sinai and Moses hearkens back to that experience. And as we read these verses, we notice that as Moses recalls those days, he reminds the children of Israel of God, the deity of God. Did you notice that weaving through all of those verses? He talks about God and he describes him And he describes him as the God. Not a God. Not one of many gods. 
not one that you might worship if you so chose to worship, but he says, I am the God. Worship me and me alone. Don't worship any idols that you might encounter as you go into the land. For they worship false gods. Don't worship any of those. Worship me. For I am the sole God. There is no other. And as we read through there, Moses' description of God, we see his sovereignty that he is in charge of all things. He was in charge in Egypt. They worship false gods. And yet he sovereignly governed and ruled in the exodus of the children of Israel. And then he describes to them, when you go into the land, I will drive out the enemies that you'll discover there. Oh, this God is a sovereign God. In charge of all things. We also see him as a transcendent God. Which means he is not like you and me. He is above us. Not just in distance or location. But superior to us. Far beyond us. Oh yes, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image. But, oh... You can't bind up God in just a physical body completely. And God transcends us, is above us, and is beyond us in many regards. We see God's grace. For in grace he brought them out. There was no reason why God should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt other than the fact that he had chosen them. And we examined that a few weeks ago. How God called Abraham. And he chose him and said, I will make of you a great nation. God's grace. His goodness. Nothing in Abraham warranted God choosing him. God simply chose him, it tells us, because he loved him. He chose him. He loved him. And we see God's grace at work. Many years had passed since he made the promise to Abraham. That's true. They lived in Egypt as servants for 400 years. Many years. And yet, finally, God shows his faithfulness. His faithfulness to his promise. He promised Abraham, and now he will fulfill his promise. He has drawn them out, and now he will take them in to their land. As we read these verses, we also see Moses reminding the children of Israel of the deeds that God had done on their behalf. Oh, great and wondrous deeds he did on their behalf. First of all, against Egypt. The plagues that he did against them. The flies, the frogs, the lice. The water turning into blood. And ultimately that last plague, which was the death angel, that went over all of the land, including the land where the children of Israel lived. What protected them was the blood on the top of the door and on the sides from the sacrificial lamb. The angel of death passed throughout all of Egypt and destroyed the firstborn. Oh, what mighty things God showed 
on their behalf. And then in the wilderness, we won't take the time to go through all of the various ways in which God proved miraculously on their behalf in the wilderness as they traveled from Egypt to the promised land. One of them is mentioned here. It says, don't test God like you did at Massa. Massa was the occasion when the children of Israel encountered a time when they didn't have water. We all know the need of water. We must have water to live. They didn't have any water. They lived in the desert and didn't have any water. And they complained to Moses and they said, Moses, this God that you're telling us about, he simply brought us out here into this wilderness to die of thirst. What kind of a God is that? Moses went to God and prayed and said, God, you've heard them. They're ready to stone me. They're ready to take my life because they don't have water. We need water. What can we do? God, you need to provide for us. God said to Moses, take that rod. Remember the rod that you smote the river Nile with and it became blood? Take that rod. That rod that you also held up over the Red Sea that parted the waters. That rod. Take that rod and strike the mountain. I'll show you where to strike. You strike the mountain and you'll have water. Sounds foolish, doesn't it? All of these things from a human standpoint, how can you explain them? I can't explain them. I don't even want to try to explain them. You either will believe them or you won't believe them. But that's what God did. Moses struck the rock, water came forth, and spared the children of Israel. Moses reminded them of that fact. And there were many others. There was manna. A few weeks ago we looked at God providing manna for them. Food of angels, it says. And quail. And the multitude of times that he protected them against enemies as they traversed along their path and route towards the promised land. They encountered enemies all along the way. And God protected them. Oh, we won't spend much more time looking at all of the marvelous deeds that God did for them. The greatest deed he did for them was when he redeemed them out of Egypt. And we read in Exodus chapter 19, it says, I have redeemed you with a strong arm and I have reconciled you unto myself. God brought the people to himself. And he reconciled them. And in that we see God's saving providence. How he saves people. His chosen people. And the scriptures provide for us a progressive description of how God intends to bring about the restoration of all things that he started in creation. In creation he made all things perfect. It says he looked at everything he had made and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And at the end of six days after he had created man, it says he looked upon man and he looked upon his creation and he said it was very good. 
and he placed Adam and Eve in the garden in Eden. And they lived there in those lush surroundings without sin, without guilt, without transgression against God. But then they sinned. They disobeyed God's command and brought sin into their lives and ultimately upon us as their physical human descendants. What would God do? Would He forget His plan? Would He just set it aside and say, well, I guess I better go to plan B? Or maybe even after times, maybe plan C? Maybe put... What do I do? No. God never forsook His plan. And we see in Scripture how He progressively reveals His plan to restore His creation back to His original intent and purpose, which was to display His presence throughout all the earth to all mankind, that they might know Him, worship Him, and love Him. And we find that this time when God redeemed Israel out of Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai as recorded in Exodus 19, we see in seed form what would ultimately flower into full completion. God providing redemption for all mankind. For He had promised to Abraham... And to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, he said, I'll bless all the earth through you. And through your seed, all of the earth will be blessed. And we find God ultimately fulfilling that promise that he shows just in seed form at Mount Sinai. And Moses reminded his followers of what God had done for them. And then we can't miss, as we read through those verses, how Moses reminded them of God's demands. God had done great things for them. God had revealed himself to them in many ways. And he said, now, because of what I have done for you, I have some demands. I have some things that I will require of you. And I will expect you to fulfill. And God proceeded then to describe to Moses, who ultimately relayed to the people, God's demands. Those demands are recorded starting in chapter 20 of Exodus throughout the whole book of Leviticus. So I won't take the time this morning to tell you all of God's demands. He simply stated them in what we call the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. That's the simplicity of it. And then he expands upon that throughout the rest of Exodus and Leviticus. And Moses reminds the people of the rules they called, the commandments, the precepts, the judgments that God laid down and demanded of the children of Israel because of what He had done for them. They now belonged to Him in a very special, unique way. And He told them, If you will obey Me, I will elevate you above all peoples. 
so Moses reminded them of God's demands. And we see them kind of in, in summary form here. We see in, in the very beginning that, that Moses lays down for them and he says, Keep all the statutes and the commandments which I command you. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And he lays down for them the simplicity of the rules and the standards that God has given to them. The standard we find starting in verse number 4 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and Him alone. At first thought, you might view the commandments that God gave as something that involves an outward change of behavior or a certain restrictions upon how I am to live. And that's true. That's true. God does not want me to commit adultery. God does not want me to take another person's life. God does not want me to steal and to take things that belong to someone else and take them for myself. And on down through the Ten Commandments. That's true. But behind and underneath it is the foundation upon which those commands rest. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The totality of your being so that we find even in the law, even though at first it may seem like it only includes outward behavior, the very last commandment included in those ten shows us that it is an internal law. Because it says you shall not covet. Is coveting an action? Is that something you physically do or don't do? That involves the heart. That involves the mind. That involves the will, the totality of my person. Moses reminded the children of Israel that God taught in His law were to love Him with all of our hearts. That's the standard. And that expresses itself in certain fashions. If I will love God with all of my heart, and if I will love my neighbor as myself, I won't steal. I won't murder. I won't covet someone else's property. I won't tell lies. I won't give false witness about my neighbor. I will worship God and God alone. And on through the law. It starts in the heart. And it comes from the heart and Moses reminded the children of Israel from the heart we also see described for us there the necessity of the law because God had said to them as described and written in in Exodus 19 he said you are to be a holy people you are to be my royal priests And you are to go out through all of the earth and describe and tell them about me so that they might come to know me like you know me. And furthermore, as part of the law, God described for them a particular place where he would come and reside right in their midst, the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, a special place within the tabernacle where he said I will come and I will reside there and I will be there 
And I will make my presence with you. I will walk with you. I will be with you. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. You must live a holy life for that to come to pass. And he gave them the law. That, he might, that they might know his standard of holiness. And then we read as we go down through the verses, we come towards the end of the chapter. We come to verse number 24 and we read this. And he says, The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for all our good always that he might preserve us. God gave them a motive for obeying his law. You'll do good. You'll experience my goodness. You'll experience my presence. I will walk with you. I will be with you. You will know me. I will know you. And because of the great things that I have done for you, I will expect you to do this. And then last, we see him mentioning here, in verse number 25, the last verse of the chapter, he says, if you do it, if you do it, it will prove righteousness to you. It will bring about in you holiness and righteousness. Starting from the heart, working its way through the totality of my being so that I don't think angry thoughts, I don't kill someone in my mind and in my heart, I don't take what doesn't belong to me, and I obey God. Moses wanted to prepare his followers the children of Israel, for their entrance into the promised land. And the whole book of Deuteronomy provides that reminder and that preparation. And he went over with them in detail, preparing them and reminding them of what God had done for them and preparing them for their entrance into the promised land. And we find, sadly, however, the children of Israel didn't follow through. They disobeyed. They didn't worship God with all their hearts and Him alone. And we find recorded throughout Scripture and through secular history as well, significant times in the history of the children of Israel when they just flatly rebelled against God, worshipped idols, followed the gods of peoples around them, so that instead of their being the leader, they became the follower. And God judged them for their sin and their disobedience. But what we see in seed form, described and reminded by Moses to the children of Israel in the verses that we've just examined, we find coming to completion by God's hand, in His providing a Savior. That's what the people really needed. What God demanded of them, they could not fully fulfill. It was beyond them. And He provided it for them in part to show them their weakness. We don't like to think about weakness, do we? Especially at this time in our lives we don't like to have things remind us of things we can't do 
I can't do the physical labor on behalf of my children's design, designs any longer. I just can't do it. don't have the physical strength. I can't crawl around like I used to. And my surgery I had a while back prevents me from doing it. But there's a greater weakness than just physical weakness. And that's a spiritual weakness. Have you ever really, truly tried to be good? Really tried? And maybe even set out for yourself a plan to follow? I did that. I made a calendar. And I put down different traits and characteristics that I wanted to adopt into my life and my pattern of life. Didn't take me very long and I threw away the calendar. I couldn't do it. And neither can you. And you've tried. Many of you have tried very hard. You wanted to be good. And maybe perhaps even now, you want to be good. You want to do the right thing. And how often you fail. You fail. And even though outwardly you may have the physical attributes of doing the right thing, is it the right thing in the heart? Because that's what God requires. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, God provided the law for the children of Israel as a standard by which He would expect them to live and to follow. At the same time, He provided for them to show how much they needed to depend upon God. And we read in the verses the reminder of Moses, you must depend upon God. You must depend upon God. You must rely upon God. And so, God, as part of His progressive revelation, which the Bible provides for us, not only does He progressively reveal Himself to us, but He progressively reveals to us His plan of how He would bring to completion what He started in creation. And that involved the sending of his son, Jesus. Born of a woman. He'd made that promise in the Garden of Eden. The seed of the woman will come and will crush the head of the serpent. Has anyone crushed the head of the serpent? Other than Jesus? No. No one has. Jesus did. He conquered him. He destroyed his works. And through faith and trust in him, we can find completion of God's work in our lives as individuals, as of what God is also working throughout all the earth. God sent his spirit to come and live and dwell within us. Those of us who have come to faith and trust and reliance upon Jesus as a substitute, because that's what he was, a substitute. Someone who fulfilled God's demands, not only physically, but from the heart. He fulfilled all of the law, completed it. He didn't need it for himself. He did it on behalf of people like you and like me. So that we might entrust upon Him as our substitute 
we might find accredited to us that which he did. Now you understand that concept. You understand it from a human standpoint. Let's view it, for example, from your apartment rent. It's due the first of the month, every month. We need to take to the office the money to pay for our rent for the month that is coming ahead. What if you went in there one day and the secretary said to you, well, you know, it's really interesting. I'm checking your record and uh, your record's paid in full. What do you mean it's paid in full? I haven't brought you any money. I haven't brought any payment. What do you mean it's paid in full? Well, that's right. That's what the record shows. Somebody came and paid your bill. It's paid for. Would you reject that? I don't think there's one of us here that would reject that, would you? That gift on your behalf, someone doing for you which was required of you, that may be difficult for you to do, and maybe even some months you wonder where all that money is going to come from to pay it, but you know you have to pay it. It's a requirement. Well, that's maybe a, a simple example And maybe not complete in all of its detail. But that's what Jesus did. He paid the bill. He paid the bill in full. On behalf of people like you and like me. So that we can come to God through the substitute. Jesus. And we can stand before God and say, God, yeah, you're right, I'm a failure. Ah, but somebody's paid my bill. Somebody paid my bill. And that somebody is your son Jesus. He paid my bill. Therefore, I stand before you with my bill paid. That's what Jesus did for people like us. And he calls upon us to trust him. Jesus said repeatedly, Trust me. Call upon me. Turn from reliance upon yourself and trust me. Believe me. Call upon me. And I will provide for you that which you cannot provide on your own. And ultimately there will come a day, the scriptures describe for us, a day when God will bring into existence and restore back that which he created as described in Genesis. A new heaven. A new earth. A new Jerusalem. The center of God and worship of God. And there will be people in that new city, on that new earth, with the new heavens, from every tribe tongue and nation God will fulfill his plan what we've looked at gives us in seed form the full tree that will come in time that which God said to the children of Israel he says to you and me today as well 
He says, look at all that I've done. Look at who I am. Look at how I have revealed myself. You know who I am. I've placed that within your body, within your mind. and your, you, you know I exist. You know I'm there. There are certain things about me that you know. All you've got to do is look at creation and, and you know some things about me. Now because of what I have done and because of who I am, now therefore I'm asking you to do just like I did with the children of Israel. I'm asking you to obey me. To call upon me. To trust me. And my provision that I have made for you in Jesus, my son. I pray that the Spirit of God will work in you and bring you to the point where you will call upon Jesus. Trust Him. And you will find fulfillment in your life, in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit, that for which God designed you to experience. I pray that that will come to fruition in your life. Let's close with a word of prayer.